Hi, this is Wayne Zell, and welcome to Blueprint for Wealth, a fast-paced videocast designed to help you realize your personal dreams of wealth and freedom. Today, we're going to have a special topic on spousal lifetime access trusts, followed by our special guest, Jeff Conroy of Embody, Inc. Let's get to it. But before we do, let me remind you that Blueprint for Wealth is brought to you by Zell Law, an estate, business, tax, and fiduciary planning law firm located in Reston, Virginia, and Savannah, Georgia, with clients all across the United States. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at zelllaw.com. So let's get to it and talk about spousal lifetime access trusts. We've been getting a lot of requests for the spousal lifetime access trust. People want to know what it is and why they've been hearing so much about it over the last several months. In fact, we've been using spousal access trusts for decades to basically set up a trust for the benefit of a spouse and other beneficiaries, kids, grandkids, friends, family, whoever, that can benefit from a gift to an irrevocable trust. It's an irrevocable trust that one spouse creates for another trust, another spouse. The spouse beneficiary can be the trustee and if they are, we have to limit their distribution authority over trust assets to an ascertainable standard, often known as health, education, maintenance, and support. The spouse beneficiary is not allowed to contribute assets themselves to the trust because it would treat it as a self-settled spendthrift trust and may not be recognized for creditor protection purposes. We can also set it up so that the grantor, the creator of the trust, is entitled to be reimbursed for any income taxes that they pay on behalf of the trust. Under a revenue ruling that came out in 2004, the grantor pays the tax for the benefit of the trust and the trust beneficiaries. It's a grantor trust. It's ignored for income tax purposes. And under that revenue ruling, the grantor's payment of the tax is not treated as an additional gift to the trust. What's better than that? In addition, we can set it up so that an independent trustee or a trust protector can reimburse the grantor for taxes that the grantor has to pay for the benefit of the trust beneficiaries. None of these rights will cause the trust to be included in the grantor's estate for estate tax purposes. In some ways, this is known as an intentionally defective grantor trust. It's defective for income tax purposes because it's ignored, but it's highly effective for estate tax purposes. The grantor is not allowed to be a beneficiary of the trust, but you can structure these trusts in a way that the spouse beneficiary may, and I emphasize may, be able to have a power of appointment to be able to direct the assets at the spouse beneficiary's death back to the grantor without tainting the trust for estate tax purposes. You've got to be careful on this because we don't want it to be inadvertently included in the grantor's estate for estate tax purposes. Depending on state law, like I said, the grantor can get access to these assets. But the grantor also has the power to borrow from the trust if it's structured properly. You can even set up a SLAT, a Spousal Lifetime Access Trust, for each spouse 
But there's two things you need to be careful of. One is we don't want to set them up too close in time because the IRS doesn't like the arrangement where you're just doing trusts that are basically reciprocal in nature and setting them up exactly at the same time with similar assets. They might collapse the arrangement under the so-called step transaction doctrine. There's another doctrine that the IRS has power to invoke. It's under the Estate of Grace case that came out from the U.S. Supreme Court in 1969. And basically the court said, you cannot have trusts that are virtually identical and have them recognized as slats. They cannot be reciprocal, in other words. And so we need to create non-reciprocal trusts. How do we do that? There are lots of ways that are identified on this slide. We would fund the trust with different assets on different dates, preferably separated in time by tax years and even by months, not days or weeks. We can give the spouse, one spouse can have what's called a testamentary limited power of appointment to appoint the assets to anybody else that both spouses agree upon. You can even put governors in there to require somebody who is a non-adverse person, somebody who doesn't participate in the trust, to watch over the spouse beneficiary if they're acting as the trustee and exercising this limited power of appointment. You want to have independent trustees involved in these trusts, and preferably a different independent trustee for each trust to make certain decisions regarding distributions not only to the spouse, beneficiary, but also other beneficiaries of the trust. You can use a vehicle known as a trust protector, not only to watch over the trustees and make sure that they're carrying out their fiduciary duties, but you can give the trust protector certain powers to modify the trust that you can't give to yourself as the grantor of the trust. You can't give it to the spouse as a beneficiary of the trust. And you certainly can't give it to the kids. So this trust protector can exercise powers over the trust that would expand and make flexible an otherwise irrevocable trust. Here's a diagram of how the slats would work. You're going to need to distinguish between the two trusts, trust one and trust two. And after trust one has terminated and it distributes the assets after the spouse is deceased, it might set up another trust or trusts for the benefit of kids, grandkids, which could take advantage of exemptions, not only from the estate tax, but also the generation skipping transfer tax. So the spousal lifetime access trust is a valuable tool, a valuable vehicle in doing estate planning for our clients. If you'd like to know more about SLATs, Give us a call at 571-203-9355 or look us up on the web at zellaw.com. And thanks for listening to Blueprint for Wealth. Stay tuned for our special guest, Jeff Conroy, who joins us right after this. Welcome back to Blueprint for Wealth. And with me today is my special guest, Jeff Conroy, the CEO of Embody. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Wayne. Happy to be here. It's great to have you as a special guest on Blueprint for Wealth. 
Let me tell you first a little bit about Jeff and Embody. Embody is developing a collagen-based medical device for the repair of tendon and ligament industries, specifically Achilles tendons and rotator rotator cuffs, which uh, we know a lot of people who suffer from those uh, tears. And originally, the, the company was funded by DARPA, which is an agency of the federal government, but really it has uh, succeeded wildly and is launching its new product, Tapestry, which has been cleared to repair these Achilles and rotator cuff uh, injuries. Um, but Jeff also serves as an independent director on in a couple of other life sciences companies, and he is currently on the board of advisors at the Apex Center for Entrepreneurs at Virginia Tech. It's a great, great journey that you've been on. How did you, how did you start your career? I mean, I've seen, you know, you've been a consultant for many years, but how did you get into the life sciences field in the first place? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> appreciate it. I started, you know, I, I had always been interested in biology as a student. Uh, although I graduated, uh, studied uh, business and graduated with a business degree, I always wanted to work at the intersection of science and business. And when I graduated from college, I took a job with Abbott Laboratories and, and took a sales job, learned all about immunology and infectious disease and hepatitis and HIV, mm -hmm. and, um, and really cemented for me the excitement of what how do these businesses run when you're solving medical, technological, product development challenges in, uh, in, in the business of life science? So we, we are going to focus on a few things today. One of the things we're going to ask Jeff to tell us about is how he got to be a CEO in a life sciences company, because it, it hasn't been a, a, you know, a, a singular journey. It's been a long journey. He's, he's been a consultant. He moved up through the ranks in different companies. And then after he tells us what the key steps are, we are going to probe into the life of the CEO today in a life sciences company. And lastly, uh, we're going to look for uh, Jeff to give us some advice for the aspiring CEOs who are listening to this broadcast. Um, Today, you're at Embody. Tell us a little bit about the products that you're creating at Embody that uh, are so exciting. Sure, sure. So Embody has developed molecular level additive manufacturing technology. That means we've learned how to take molecules of collagen and structure them into uh, these implants that mimic the native microarchitecture of your own tendon tissue and in fact, your own cells navigate, migrate to our implants and grow new tendon tissue. Um, we were very fortunate to develop a relationship with DARPA and have access to have funded the company with DARPA. Uh, and now near 20 million of non-dilutive funds between DARPA and the Air Force, the U.S. Army, uh, really based on the needs of uh, war fighters and across DOD, uh, pervasive sports medicine injuries and, and challenges to readiness. So um, our products today are being used in about 10 different uh, soft tissue augmentation uh, repairs. We will launch in the first quarter of 2022 a major uh, arthroscopic instrumented rotator cuff repair solution. It's a billion dollar market for us, and we think there's a big opportunity to build 
you know, a 50, 60, $100 million business here at Embody over the coming years. And then we've also taken this understanding of working with the collagen molecule and been able to develop now collagen-based sutures. So sutures that are pro-healing, they're load-bearing and can help you heal. But then once you get through the healing cascade, tissue grows in and the suture starts to be resorbed and, and new tissue is formed. So it's really about using the power of biology to accelerate healing, to minimize inflammation, to minimize scarring. And, and, and you know, I think mobility is a challenge that we all face as we age, whether you're in sports young or, or, or uh, later years. And so preserving mobility is really the mission of the company. Do the, um, do the techniques that you're using these products, are they actually medical devices or are they inserted via surgery or is it both? Yeah, it's, it's both. So these are, these are surgical implants. So it's classified. They're class two medical devices. According to the FDA, we have to go through uh, proper development paths and the FDA clears these products uh, through the 510k uh, clearance process. And, um, and then surgeons, uh, we develop specific procedures, whether it's Achilles or rotator cuff or hamstring. Uh, there are some very simple procedures to insert and, and uh, affix these implants so that the patients can benefit. That's really cool. How did you, how did you get on the path towards getting into this company? What was, what was the, you know, you started at Abbott. Yeah. How did you get into the consulting world? And then how did you evolve ultimately to become a CEO of a, of a startup that is rocket ship? You know, I actually um, appreciate the characterization. We're an aspiring rocket ship. We, I, I hope I can describe it as a rocket ship someday. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. I think that whatever path, we're each on our own path. And, and the, the more... Uh, wisdom we gain over our lives, the more we understand that we're competing with ourselves and we're in these positions because of a series of experiences we had previously. My first experience as an entrepreneur was starting a t-shirt company in college and learning uh, the, the excitement of you know coming up with a product and generating sales and putting uh, making deposits at the bank. Uh, my interest in biology, as you said, led me to Abbott. I ended up in a number of smaller, consecutively smaller companies. Uh, one was acquired by Thermo Electron. I learned how to buy companies and as a, as, a, as a part of integrating acquisitions in a large corporation. And I had said to my wife one day, you know, after traveling hundreds of thousands of miles one year, I said, I thought I could probably replace my income if I had done half or a third of the deals that I did. And so it led me to start my own consulting company. And I very much think, in, you know, we're, we're all the CEO of our own business. That's the, the old Tom Peters book. I think that um, for me, it, it really came down to I thrived in smaller and smaller environments, and I really got a big charge out of the fact that one person can change a business. I think back to my time at Abbott, and I reflect on a massively successful company. Everyone should work at, at one world-class company, and my network there served me well. But at the same time, I look back and think, 
this is designed so one person can't screw it up. And so the, the, the smaller, as you move into smaller companies, and one of the tenets of, of, of our culture is every person we add has to have the ability to change the company significantly. And so that just jazzed me. And even before I was a CEO, just being a part of some of some teams like this, Throughout my consulting as a licensing and, and, and business consultant in, uh, in the life sciences, I had the occasion to do a turnaround of a small tissue bank. And I got to learn about uh, how cadaver tissue was used in surgical repair, mm. what some of the limitations of those products were. They stimulate scar tissue formation or they don't resorb into native tissue. And... There had been very little innovation, and I thought to myself, I wanted to do a company that would develop technology that would enable us to build products that stimulated healing in soft tissue, and um, started uh, working on relationships, finding scientists who could be a part of the vision, uh, and then having been in Washington for 25 years, looking to... DOD and DARPA for ways that we might benefit from uh, the alignment of interests. Okay, DARPA is an organization, uh, sorry, DOD is an organization dependent on operational readiness. And so yes. we ended up finding out that, you know, mobility was the number one challenge in sports medicine injuries, rotator cuff, Achilles, ACL. Biggest challenge, not only across special operations, Navy SEALs, Green Berets, but the folks moving supplies and logistics, same injuries. And so heavy lifting, I found a problem. I fell in love with it. If you think about, you know, I, so was this an idea that you, you basically created? It was, I, it, it, well, it was an idea that I listened to. Okay. Yeah. So it was an idea that I had the occasion to meet with surgeons Right. over the course of a couple of years who talked about limitations of products currently in the market without an ability to say, what, what does the future look like? What's a better version? And a better version would be, you know, not a, not skin from the back of a cadaver being used to repair your Achilles or rotator cuff, but maybe a biologic substrate, a biologic material that might stimulate new tissue growth. And so we zeroed in on biomaterials, we zeroed in on collagen, and decided to build a company that would demonstrate excellence at working with collagen at the molecular level and engineering structures. And fundamentally, that's what DARPA funded. DARPA funded, we're developing additive manufacturing methods that used collagen molecules and the things that we made from those manufacturing processes, our tapestry and microbraid, there are products that uh, are surgical implants. And so- Are these patented uh, products? At all, yep, we have, um, actually we just yesterday received notice of our seventh patent in the last 10 months. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. We have about 28 more in process and uh, you know, this is, wow. everyone's business has an algebra equation. And so, you know, big market need, interesting, complete solution that can be paid for, IP protected, able to demonstrate clinical evidence. You know, these are, these are all the things that we're trying to validate now. 
And the beauty of this DARPA funding is that it allows you to utilize the technology commercially without restriction, correct? Correct, correct. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and, and particularly with the vehicles that we used, uh, uh, the contract vehicles that we used, we have great latitude. DARPA's incentive was they wanted our product available for DOD participants. We've actually, uh, through our first 200 patients this year, we do have both active military and um, VA patients who've been involved, uh, well, who've, who've received tapestry. And, how, and what are the results? Everybody's uh, very pleased with the results? Results are great. Surgeons are pleased. Patients are pleased. The, the most excitement, some of our first surgeries were in uh, total shoulder arthroplasty, so shoulder replacement, and using tapestry uh, to reinforce the subscapularis tendon because shoulders don't fail because metal fails. Shoulders fail because soft tissue fails. Right. Uh, and then, in fact, not only do they fail 5 or 6% of the time, but 50% of the time, patients report that they don't get their full range of motion back or they don't feel mobility. So now we have our first data in the first three or four patients. In six months, our implant is gone. An independent musculoskeletal radiologist can't tell that there was an injury or that there is any tendinosis. And all we have is thickened new tendon tissue. And wow. so we're very, very excited. We're, we get calls from the surgeons who we're working with two minutes after they get this data to say this is better than we expected. Um, now, with anything in, in, in uh, clinical practice, you know, the, the real challenge for us is now to develop long-term clinical evidence over the next couple of years. We're launching a patient registry in January for subscap. And then we'll launch a patient registry in March for rotator cuff. Mm -hmm. And this is going to allow us to tell the story over the next two years of how and why and where patients are benefiting. And ultimately, can we reduce long-term retail rates in sports medicine? That, sure. that's, that's really what we're trying to do. Is there, a, um, is there a competitor to you in this field in terms of the, what yeah, you're doing? There, there are a range of competitors using different materials and different structures. I think we've tried to carve ourselves out in a little bit of a unique position because we've come up with an implant that has a, a, a structural advantage, meaning the, the copolymer approach that we've taken and the physical structure to mimic the microarchitecture of your native tendon sets us apart. We've also innovated in the delivery and fixation. So on our arthroscopic instrumentation, we've tried to make it easier to deliver an implant and faster uh, to deliver the implant. And, and everything in healthcare also comes down to economics. We've got to come up with uh, the right solution for patients and surgeons, and we've got to be competitive, uh, particularly uh, Post-COVID, you know, shifts in volume of surgeries to ambulatory surgery centers, outpatient centers. So, you know, uh, we're really seeking to differentiate ourselves from uh, competitors with, uh, with, with, with speed, with outcomes, and with economics. How, what's it like being a CEO in life sciences today? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. I think that anyone who chooses to do this 
initially probably does it because they have great confidence in themselves or they think that they're going to be able to uh, will things to happen. I, I think that's those are those are at least personally speaking uh, formative signs of naivete and optimism. Right? We bundle it all together and we go, we're going to do it. Um, and entrepreneurship. And entrepreneurship. And entrepreneurship. And and I think in a healthcare, there are plenty of people who uh, generate massive economic success in healthcare, but no one goes into healthcare as the shortest path to make money. This is about how do we do something that's not been done before? How do we bring a benefit to patients who will be better off as a result of the thing that we've created? And as a result, can we make a case that our product or our solution or our repair is scalable enough and pervasive enough that it becomes a standard? In those instances, uh, you have avenues to public markets, you have avenues to partnerships or acquisition. And so, you know, that that was that was one of the interesting uh, developments for me as a as someone who's become a CEO and now seven years into this adventure, what I can tell you is that um, it's all about the team. This is this is 100 percent about the group of people that you choose uh, to be next to you and with you and contribute and and also, you know, we have a, a few things we talk about. One is that um, team, 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 before we had patents, before we had a product, before we had investors, all we had is a team. Now, as we have gone and this year, we've gone from 17 to 38. I believe we just made our offer to a 39th uh, team member. You have to remember in a company this size, your culture changes with every hire and you get the culture you deserve. So if you're not communicating your values and living your values and, and learning how to work together and setting expectations, things can go sideways very quickly. Sure. Um, you know, so, so for me, what's the one bit of advice that you would give to an aspiring CEO today before we wind up? You know, I, I would say um, it's people first. It's not about you. It's about them. Uh, I, I would also say that um, if I could do anything different, it would be I would make decisions faster with less information. We're all constantly seeking, you know, 80, 90, 95 percent of information to make decisions 60, 65 percent make more decisions. You may make fewer. You, you may make a few bad decisions. But you'll make more decisions and you'll act. Um, take risks, embrace uncertainty, and this is not about intelligence. Everybody in this business is smart. There is no shortage of smart people. It's it's the folks who deal with uncertainty, the folks who have the grit and determination, and then the last one is just communicator. I, my job is I'm a communicator, and it's really about. Um, constituencies that we deal with, not just our team, not just our sure. customers, our surgeons, our shareholders. And so you are the master of the message. And if you build the right team, you become the execution, uh, you become known for execution. And that's really what we've tried to do. Well, congratulations on your recent successes at Embody. And I wish you all the luck in the world going forward. Wayne, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate it. And thanks for, uh, thanks for including me today. And thanks to Jeff Conroy for being our special guest on Blueprint for Wealth. 
Stay tuned next time for another special topic and special guest. Have a great week. Thank you.